0: ...on each of those days had something in common. At the age of 12, I wanted to be Mike Nelson of Sea Hunt and took my first scuba dive off the coast of Southern California. I was truly awestruck by the towering kelp beds and their abundant alien sea life. I harvested my first abalone and watched my mother pound it into something roughly edible. A decade later, I returned to Los Angeles from a life in Australia and Europe to dive those waters again, to reclaim my youthful sea hunt and cousteau inspired enthusiasm. What I found instead was a desolate wasteland of rock and mussels, of purple urchins and styrofoam cups. No densely populated kelp beds sculpted by the unseen hand of ocean currents, just a moonscape of barren rock covered in silt. What had happened to the lush kelp beds, the abalone, the sea bass, the lobster, the octopus— My second epiphany was at the time of the death of my father, Art Arntz. He served in the Marines at Peleliu and other bloodiest battles of World War II in the Pacific. He died of emphysema at the age of 70 after a decade of wheezing and dragging an oxygen tank behind him, the result of smoking and living in one of the world's smoggiest cities. Not Los Angeles or Houston, but Milwaukee, Wisconsin, covered much of the time in green-gray smoke from upwind rust belt industries and millions of vehicle tailpipes. The day we buried him, aging veterans in bulging faded uniforms, offering their 21-gun salute, I asked myself, how could this happen? Then there was the day I met a Hopi elder named Vernon Masayevsa. He opened the door for me to a civilization that has continuously occupied the same land, indeed the same dwellings, for more than 10,000 years, living sustainably in one of the most unforgiving, stingy landscapes on earth. Of the many reasons for the Hopi's remarkable success, two features of their culture exemplify their approach to life. First, the Hopi have no word or idea that describes wilderness, but they do have a word for wild or crazy people. To them, the land is not wild, but people who harm it are. The land is simply their home. Quote, Western science looks at the world in which we live, separates the human from the environment, and then studies the parts—the air, the water, the land, the animals—as if they had little to do with one another. End quote. Vernon explained with a sad resignation. Quote, But traditional science looks at the world in which we live, recognizes the essential connection of all the parts—the air, the water, the land, the other animals, and the human—and from it develops culture and a way of being. The world is sacred, and the human is its steward, end quote. Another trait that explains much about the Hopi culture of sustainability can be discerned from their simple daily customs. When they eat, they thank not only the person who cooked the food, but the land, sun, water, farmers, even their parents, all the elements that made the meal possible. They say something unpronounceable to the European ear, but it might look like quak quak item nunusa, which means, thank you, we have eaten. The hope you recognize that if you don't feed all living things, there would be no food to eat and no survival in the desert land. The fourth of these remarkable days in my life was meeting Joanne Van Tilburg, the anthropologist whose team helped solve the mystery of the civilization that once flourished on an island off the coast of Chile. Rapa Nui, better known as Easter Island, is also home to the equally enigmatic tiki-like Moai effigies carved from volcanic rock, standing as much as 70 feet tall and weighing up to 165 tons apiece. Quote, I thought I was just studying an ancient civilization, she told me, gazing at the sea from her home in Malibu, California. Then I realized we were looking in the mirror, end quote. Rapa Nui today looks oddly like Ireland, green and tawny, although devoid of large plant or animal life to sustain any substantial human population. This island, though, was once a lush subtropical paradise, reminiscent of the South Pacific islands that the first Polynesian settlers on Rapa Nui had once called home. Those lucky immigrants found abundant plant and animal life, including giant palms that made outstanding ocean-going canoes for hunting marine mammals. Every step brought fruits, edible roots, and medicinal plants. So generous were the land and sea that a sophisticated, robust population emerged, including priests and artisans who carved, transported, and erected the moai, ultimately numbering nearly a thousand mute-forbidding sentinels. As the growing population depleted traditional food sources, however, islanders worked their way down the food chain, in turn exhausting the supply of shellfish, sea snails, even grasses. Porpoise bones suddenly disappeared from garbage heaps as islanders no longer had large trees to make ocean-going canoes. Even garden crops declined as topsoil washed into the sea, a victim of deforestation. Ominously, the bones of birds, seals, and porpoises were rapidly replaced by those of rats, and finally humans, as islanders devolved into warring tribes, fighting over the only remaining food source. of